foul. We'll take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! Gets by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose and it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to four yard line. A turnover and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh, there's Lindsay. He's gone. Lindsay's gone. Montez with all kinds of time. Here's Matt Rifles in downfield. Shea Fields on the left shoulder makes the grab. Runs away from a defender at the 10. Into the end zone. Big play Shea. Touchdown. Touchdown Colorado. Welcome in to Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger Publisher at BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. And for the final time, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting. Specializing in the unique needs of small and medium businesses, Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at GormanRecruiting.com. Tyler, all three phases finally decided to show up to the same football game. Yeah, it's amazing how good a football team can look if everybody plays well. <laughs> yeah, it was a, that was a nice game to watch aesthetically, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, they finally, I think it was the first game all year that they were really actually entertaining football plays on both sides of the ball. Not a whole lot of mistakes, not a lot that make you scratch your head. It was nice. Even the 40-year-old freshman knocking... Through all three of his his kicks, yeah, it was it was definitely uh, something that Colorado fans have been waiting for all season, and it also shows you when you get a pass rush how much better a defense can look, right? So, despite all the negativity, much of it, most of it, I should say, well founded, the Buffs are one win away from bowl eligibility with three games left. It would mark the first back to back bowl years since Colorado did that in two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Those were, of course, the final two years of the Gary Barnett era. And Tyler, that makes me chuckle because, of course, Dan Hawkins comes in and says this thing was burnt to the ground. And yet those previous two years were the final two years that they went to a bowl game. Now, I get the whole so-called recruiting scandal, and there were things that I mean, they uh, fell, affected that. But they did fall apart pretty hard at the end there. So I guess if it was burnt to the ground when Dan Hawkins took over, what was it when Mike McIntyre took over? Uh, hell. Hell. <laughs> yeah, Literal hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burning underground. <laughs> On its way to China. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is this this is kind of a long where you saw this football team? Maybe you expected them to play better in some of those other games. Yeah, I had them at six and three. Um, I, the only I mean, obviously Arizona is the only game that I had them winning that they have that they lost so far to this point in the year. Now, obviously, in hindsight, nobody knew Khalil Tate was going to do this, so it's. I mean, obviously, you would have liked to have won that game, especially scoring 42 points. But at this point, I don't really think Colorado's lost to a bad team. So it's, you know, at 5-4, and four, obviously, 
one of those UCLA and Arizona losses will sting you a little bit because you get one of those and you're already bowl eligible. You don't have to worry about the stretch of the season. You're just trying to put icing on the cake, basically. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think this is a team that we knew was going to be not as good as last year. And uh, they've put themselves in a position to make a bowl game. Uh, and like you mentioned, first time in a decade, it'll be back-to-back year. So let's see how it plays out. If they don't win another game, of course, this season's looked at as a disappointment. There's no one looking at, at it through any other lens. But if they win six games and go to a bowl game, it'll be interesting. I think this fan base is going to be pretty split in terms of this season, whether it was a success or not. Where, yeah, where would I you mean, fall in on I would, For me, it would be a success for sure. I, I, I said we were going to win seven, um, but I was kind of between six and seven when we got there for me. So it would be, you know, maybe slightly behind what I expected, but... Uh, all in all, your goal is to make bowl games. That's that's a momentum changer. You get those bowl practices. That's how programs get better. There was a fi- fire lit under Steven Montez. He called it a power play by Mac, but also admitted that it really fired him up. And he, he said, I guess it worked. He finishes with nearly 400 yards of offense in a counter for four touchdowns with no interceptions. I think his uh, quarterback rating or passer rating was third best in the country uh, for, for last week. And if it wasn't for, again, Khalil Tate, he would have won the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, Khalil Tate wins that for the fourth straight week. First player in conference history to do that. Yeah, he's having himself a hell of a year. I'm surprised people haven't put him more in the Heisman race at this point. I mean, as soon as he's come into the game, Arizona has been pretty unbelievable. If they beat USC this week, then I think that talk starts. I think it has to start at least. In terms of Steven Montez, you didn't like him getting benched, but now that you see what it did to him, did you change your opinion at all? I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously it worked out well in this particular game. I don't know that him being benched is the reason he played well. Like, he's fully capable of playing well against Cal if he hadn't been benched too. But, yeah, I mean, in the end it worked. I don't think they would have beaten Washington State with him in the second half either, but... I think they didn't give themselves a chance to win the game, which still frustrates me. But, you know, if my, if Montez learned his lesson and got the message, then in, at the end of the season it could be worth it for sure. I mean, if he plays well down the stretch and they win one, two, you know, whatever, maybe even three more games, then obviously it looks pretty good. It will be interesting to see Montez going forward. He said this is something that he's going to remember and it's going to keep him motivated. Or does he continue down a path of being fairly inconsistent? It's kind of hard to tell where his trajectory is with his career at this at this point. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit difficult to tell. I'm really encouraged by his decision-making. He's not making terrible throws across the middle, which I think was a big concern for us this year. Now, they don't throw a ton across the middle, and I wonder if the coordinators are feeling the same thing. They don't want to get him slinging throws across the middle where he shouldn't be, so a lot of, a lot of boundary stuff with this offense this year, but... I've really been encouraged from what I've seen from him. I think he's moving around in the pocket extremely well. He's made plays with his feet. Uh, obviously hitting those two deep balls in this game. We talk about that every single week. He starts to make the offense look pretty good. If he can start to hit one or two of those, I think he has a chance to be really successful. Successful. Rick Gamboa, Afalabe Laguda, and Derek McCartney got together, and they decided that as a defense, uh, they needed to start to have fun and play with passion again. It was pretty clear that those guys were enjoying being out there. Maybe a little bit too much fun. We'll get into Nick Fisher's uh, return a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. We, we had heard that there was this leadership void. And those three guys who are not necessarily natural leaders, I know Laguda likes to run his mouth a lot, but I don't. he's not like a Philip Lindsay type leader, right? 
But for, so th- for those three guys to, to at least get the other defensive guys on board with them was certainly yeah. an encouraging sign. Yeah, I mean, I thought scheme-wise, uh, obviously we don't have pass rushers, so you got to do things a little differently. They finally got your Lewis one. thought they brought pressure in a lot of different areas. Uh, Evan Worthington had a really nice game getting to the quarterback as well. So that was impressive to me. They finally got creative and brought some different looks that we haven't seen because you obviously have to get pressure on the quarterback at some point. Otherwise, they're going to score on you. Yeah. I thought Evan Worthington looked like a carbon copy of Cheeto Bayouze at times in that game. Yeah, he's. I still haven't seen too many people talk about him as a draftable player, but I would be shocked at this point if he doesn't get drafted. I was thinking about it actually after this game. Is it possible that – all four of the starters next year could be draft picks. Nick Fisher is the only one that I'm really not super high on. Well, Isaiah Oliver is probably leaving early, right? Yeah, if he, I mean, even if he does, though, I think we'll we'll see how it plays. Yeah. Out. Okay. Yeah, Trey Udofia. I yeah. think he's going to definitely develop into that. Yeah, and I think Nick Fisher and Evan Worthington have decent chance to get there as well. So that, I mean, so the secondary next year, I I would say, is still in pretty dang good shape. Depth is the concern with with that group, but yeah, the the starters should be pretty yeah, solid. We'll see how Chris Miller looks for them. Speaking of Nick Fisher, the, they let the media down on the field for the last four or five minutes of the game, and I'm standing right there in the end zone, and he picks it off, and he starts running, and I literally out out loud said, "What is he doing?" Yeah, and McIntyre um, was thinking the same thing. Yes, it worked out for him. I don't know why he was trying to run that ball out of the end zone, but. Ended up being probably the longest play in CU history, so that's pretty cool. But, yeah, yeah you just got to kneel that one. <laughs> and he got two fantastic blocks right around the two- or three-yard line. If it wasn't for that, he's getting tackled right there. Yeah, I know. And it's hard to even kneel down if yeah. you're on the two-yard line. Yeah, you got you to gotta get a runoff somehow from the two. So, But good, good for Nick Fisher. Uh, yeah, it's funny. There's a picture on USA Today. USA Today Sports Images, and it's a picture of the sideline as Nick Fisher's. I think he's probably about the 50-yard line at this point. And all the players are jumping up, and all the coaches are have the meanest look on their face. <laughs> it's a great photo. Uh, Tim Lanott starts the game at center with Huckins out, and it seems like he's getting a little bit more comfortable in that role. I was really surprised. Tim Lanott said this week that he basically took very little reps at all at center in camp, which makes no sense. Mike McIntyre was asked then, what is your plan for backup center if he's not taking steps? And he didn't really have a clear answer to that. That surprised me. Yeah, that is definitely surprising, especially since there was a period of time where people thought he was going to end up at center. And obviously, Colby Purcell, they feel pretty good about his chances moving forward to play yeah, that Yeah, but role. you're going to redshirt him, and you would probably right. know that during camp, right. right? No, yeah, I agree. I'm just saying for years going forward. So that, I mean, yeah, he definitely did struggle in the Washington State game. Uh, but yeah, this past week, much better job, but it's kind of what you expect. I mean, obviously he had big freshman season, so it's nice to see him start to settle in because we need him to. I liked Ronnie Blackman in that punt return role from him coming out from high school, and I thought he looked pretty natural there. He's had now a couple long returns. I'd like to see him stay in that role. I've been outspoken about not wanting to see Oliver in that role. Mm-hmm. Not, not so on Ronnie Blackman, though, as a kickoff return. Yeah. He's a little bit too indecisive back there for me. I'd rather see KD, their number one guy there. Right. Well, he's back there usually, too. They definitely kick away from Katie for the most part. I don't know how they already know he's explosive because he hasn't gotten too many opportunities. But they definitely seem to be attacking Ronnie Blackman on kickoff returns. I agree. I just don't think he has the blazing speed, really. Um, you know, He's quick, great for punt returns, but and he's kind of small. He's not going to break too many tackles. I'd like to see him 
um, used more as the part returner than the kick returner. You know, you know what I'd love to see as a kick returner, and they probably won't let him do this, is LaVisca Chenault. Can you imagine him? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Good luck tackling that. Why wouldn't they let him do it? I think it'd be great. I don't Yeah, I mean, yeah, he has... We talked about he didn't really have elite speed coming in, but sure as hell looks like it. Are they going to let Kavion Ento do it next year? Because they should. That wouldn't be a bad option either. Who else would even factor into that, maybe? Next Lee, year? Lee Walker? Yeah, I mean, yeah. This year, I, I would have been. I would have liked to have seen Lee Walker. Even Bryce Bogle, I think, would be pretty good at it. But obviously, they don't want to use those type of guys on offense. Uh, I don't know. Some of these defensive guys, like Chris Miller, could maybe factor in next year there. He's yeah. a pretty good athlete. Yeah. So Rashawn Salams, number 19, was retired at halftime, or actually, no, end of the first quarter oh. um, on Saturday. And it's cool. They have all four retired numbers up on the club level now. It's weird that the other three weren't up there until Saturday. Yeah, which I didn't realize. So I was sitting next to my buddy Tyler, who was like, those never up there before. I was like, yeah, they were. And they mm-hmm. looked it up, nope. they weren't yet. So that's kind of interesting. I was also making a comment like, it's crazy that we've only had four numbers retired, but then you remember there's like 100 guys on the team. You start retiring a bunch yeah. of numbers, you're running out of number options pretty quick. They've even had issues with having to switch over numbers when they've uh, had injuries and switching guys on special team, mm-hmm. teams this yeah, year. Yeah, they had, uh, I think it was Shay, somebody, or Devin Ross, someone came on to all-hands team when we needed to get that onside kick at the end of the game, yeah. and they had to come on the field wearing number 99. <laughs> Mike McIntyre refers to these final four games as gold letter games. He started that last year. They've gone with that theme again this year. I like the idea of resetting things a little bit for the final stretch. Even last year, you're doing well, but it kind of is a way to refocus your team even after a hot start. This year, it's even better, I think, because it kind of, again, hits the restart button and almost you treat it like a one-month season down the stretch. Yeah, and you've got three tough games. I mean, I don't think we're... Maybe at this point, the way Utah's playing, we might be favored in that game. But at least at the beginning of the year, we were not expected to be favored in any of these three. Um, so, you know, they got to really dial it in because if they, if they don't find a way to get one, we're going to be sitting at home. So, I mentioned James Stefano was perfect against Cal. He's now 86.7% on his field goals, and he's still perfect on his extra points. He's one of five guys in the conference that are perfect on extra points. And then Alex Kinney had a good game. He creeps into the top half of the Pac-12 in punting average. A couple guys you don't spend a whole lot of time talking about on this podcast, but have been uh, fairly solid, especially Stefano's been exceeded everybody's expectations. Yeah, he's been an absolute stud. I mean, we knew he had the pop watching him in the season, but he was missing a lot of field goals. We didn't know how consistent he was going to be. I mean, he's been about as good as you could ask of anybody in the country, let alone a guy who didn't kick a whole lot. Now, it makes me wonder about kickers. The guy who's been kicking for like two years, all of a sudden you can come in and make everything. <laughs> all these kids who have been doing it their whole life struggle. doesn't make sense to me. But, yeah, he's, so, he's been great. So much of that is a mentality because, I mean, we've seen with Chris Graham, he's got pop and he's consistent in practices, but you start putting a few fans in Folsom Field and he kind of self-destructs a little bit. Um, so that's the, that's the tough part about kicking, I think. So you beat an injury-riddled ASU squad in Boulder last fall, but before that, the Buffs had lost seven in a row to the Sun Devils by an average score of 42-15. to 15. A lot of forgettable games between these two programs. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? We're going to spend more time talking about this on our video preview, but just kind of your overall thoughts about So you heading down there with a little bit of confidence. Yeah, I mean, we definitely haven't played very well down there, so nothing, I guess, would really surprise me in terms of results. You know, some places you just struggle playing, and we have definitely struggled down in Arizona for the most part. 
Uh, now, I will say, I don't think these teams like each other very much, which is usually a good sign for Colorado. I mean, there's they, they'll be ready to go uh, because there is that history of them just stomping on us and scoring extra touchdowns when they don't need to. So I think there's definitely a little bit of you know juice from the team this week that we need to go out there and put it to them. It does help a little bit, too, that this is later in the conference schedule. It's still going to be about a high of 81, 82 degrees on Saturday. But by kickoff, you'll be in the 70s. I remember... Not the last trip, but two trips ago, this was the first game Seth Lufauer played in. I remember walking from the parking lot to the press box, just drenched in sweat. And this was October, but I was still just super hot down there. So it, it always helps when that Arizona trip is a little bit later in the schedule. ASU has a new defense coordinator this season, Phil Bennett. He was the defense coordinator at Baylor for a while. Uh, it, it looked like he was starting to make a big difference there in Tempe, especially with that, that two-week stretch where Washington and Utah only scored a total of 17 points. But they're, they're still giving up 30 points a game, and they gave up 48 to USC last weekend. It's kind of hard to figure out the ASU defense. Yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to make a lot of scheme changes there as well. So they're going to have games where it really comes together, and they're going to have games where they struggle. They definitely seem to have an avalanche effect where if they, anything goes wrong for them, they fall apart pretty quick. Uh, so hopefully we can get out to a hot start and maybe they'll, the same will happen uh, this upcoming weekend. But, yeah, they that Washington game was extremely surprising to me. Now Utah's pretty much fully fall, falling apart, and they they don't have much of an offense to begin with outside of Darren Carrington. So um, I wasn't surprised to see them kind of lay the wood a little bit in that game. But I will be surprised if they really shut us down, so we'll see. Philip Lindsay and Kalen Balazs were a year separated as prep recruits, but it's still funny to look back. Obviously, Balazs was the number one in-state recruit, a blue-chip guy. And Lindsay, he was a three-star, and, and he had a, a Utah for a couple other schools that offered him. But um, they, obviously, it's just funny to kind of look back at the overreactions of fan bases based on Kalen Balazs not coming to see you, and, and it yeah. certainly worked out. I mean, those guys could have coexisted in the same system and complemented each other pretty well. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they definitely would have been very complimentary. You could have saved Phil at the goal line a little bit, used Balazs a lot more. He's obviously much bigger, more powerful back. They're both really good. Um, I think people still expect Balazs to be an NFL guy, so I will say if, if that play, if that plays out. Yeah, if Balazs with his size and skill set had Philip Lindsay's intangibles, and I mean, you could say that with a lot of players, but you know, you're talking about an All-American. Yeah. Um, and I always thought Balazs actually would have been a good linebacker too, but again, he just didn't have that mentality. He's aggressive in spots. Like there was that run against UCLA where he carried the pile, what was it, like 25, 30 yards, something crazy. But he hasn't really shown that on a consistent basis. With Balazs, Richard, uh, Nikhil Harry, they've got talent there, but there's the offense still does not really scare you, right? ASU's no, yeah. I mean, I think Manny Wilkins is kind of a game manager, and that, you know, most some people say that's positive, and sometimes it is, but you just. You know you can take some chances with him because more often than not, he's not going to be able to take advantage of your mistakes on deep throws or you know hitting somebody on the sideline in a, in a pass that doesn't get completed by most quarterbacks. He's not that guy, so you can take a little more of a risk, I think, playing against him than you could against a Josh Rosen. Speaking of blue-chip recruits that haven't really panned out, what about Blake Barnett? He transfers to ASU from Alabama. Everybody just assumes he's going to be the starter. Did you follow that at all? I don't even know how close that competition was. Um, well, they definitely uh, made a decision late in camp, but it did seem like from what everybody was saying that it was Manny Wilkins' job to lose kind of all along. Okay. So, yeah, I guess he didn't come in and make a huge impression. 
Jonathan Hutkins might be back from a concussion this week. He was going through that concussion protocol. McIntyre is not really definitive on, on injured guys at this point of the season. He did say Isaiah Oliver should be ready to go. Um, I'm guessing Tim Coleman won't be back. And then you've got Taron Hasselbeck. He's going through concussion protocol as well after getting knocked out late against Cal. Obviously, the key there is getting Oliver back to match up with Nikhil Harry. Yeah, is uh, just yeah. You want you obviously want to get Oliver on the field because Harry's the one guy you got to worry about on that offense, especially in the passing game. Um, is Tim Coleman a senior? Yes. Yep. Man, I would like to see him get back at least for one more game. Just, mm-hmm. You know, it'd be tough for him. The guy who's had so many injury issues to just miss the final half of the year with an injury. I'd like. Yeah. To, Hopefully they can get him back on the field at some point. Tyler, you and I went down to the Stutler Bowl last Friday night to feature and check in on Dimitri Stanley there at Cherry Creek. He had a very quick night. They had running clock midway through the second quarter. All three of his catches went for a touchdown. He drew another uh, pass interference call. I would have liked to see him maybe stretch the field a little bit more, but they were really kind of dinking and dunking against that Prairie View team because they didn't have to have to really rely on anything else offensively. Yeah, it wasn't a ton of down-the-field throws. Uh, his agility looked really nice. I mean, obviously juked out a couple guys. Prairie View doesn't have anybody that's going to be playing D1, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't probably the greatest game in terms of talent level that you would like to see him play against. But he's definitely he's bigger than I thought for sure. He's got great speed. He's pretty agile. I think he's going to be a guy that will play for CU, absolutely. Yeah, definitely check out that video feature we did. Even if you subscribe to our Buff Stampede YouTube channel, it's on there. Obviously, if you're subscribed to the site as well, there's there's an article along with it. Prairie View had a female kicker. I know it's maybe a sensitive topic in these parts, but that was cool to see. Yeah, she banged a couple through too. She did? She did. At the Tuesday press luncheon, we were asking the players' coaches their, their candy rankings, top three. Threw it out to the message board, got some answers there. Tyler, what are your top three candies? Uh, so I'm not a huge chocolate guy. The only chocolate candy bar that I really like eat on occasion is 100 Grand and Almond Joys. 100 Grand was in my top three? Yeah, nice. Underrated. See, it's, I, it's not talked about a whole lot. I like 100 Grand a lot. But mine are probably Sour Patch Kids. Oh, man. Swedish Fish. Skittles. That's interesting. That's my jam. That would be like if I had to rank them on the very end of my list. That's where those would all be? Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Swedish fish, for whatever reason, for me, like I could eat six million Swedish fish in one sitting. That's why I'm not allowed to have them. Now, I, they're I was, so addicting. I was handing out Snickers and Skittles to kids on Halloween, and the Skittles went really fast. So I think it's, uh, I guess everybody's got a little bit of a different preference there. That's interesting. For me, it's all about the, the peanut butter chocolate combo. I had a chance to talk with Clayton Adams, Colorado's offensive line coach. Here's that interview. We uh, popped on the film of the Cal game. Had that been the best your group had looked overall through an entire game? Uh, there were some good things, and there were still some things that we got to we got to clean up. Uh, I think the, the confidence was probably better than it had been. Fundamentally, still lots of stuff got to fix. Do you think you found your best five guys, or is it just tough because of kind of the injuries? It seems like almost one every week to to kind of find that that one group to stick with. I think we found some depth um, in terms. Of, you know which guys are going to be playing week to week. Some of that has to do with who's healthy, and uh, I, I do think that the guys that were out there for most of the game on Saturday, um, you know, they played well together. Uh, but when everybody's healthy, I think it's easier to, to answer that question. You know, 
I think it was after non-conference you had talked about your group needing to kind of develop that nastiness within them and it seemed like when conference play started the, the running game really started to work well but the, maybe the pass protection game was a little bit further behind is that a fair assessment you know it's 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 like anything there's there's so many pieces and, and moving parts to it uh, there are there are some guys that are doing a really good job on it there are some guys that aren't and you know there's other parts of the offense that, that have to kind of be in rhythm for some of those things to work as well and so it's a group effort it's you know an entire offense trying to find its rhythm and I think that we're getting closer and, and a big part of that is those five guys up front playing well and when they play well uh, we've got a chance to win games and when they don't it's tougher so I think that you know like I said there's pieces of it that are that are closer to where we want than, than other parts and we're, it's work in progress and we're trying to get better do you think it helps your group that Philip Lindsay plays with the style he does and, and even after games kind of gives a lot of the credit back to, to those guys absolutely I mean he's just a he's a selfless guy and he's the kind of guy you want to block for and the energy he plays with the passion that he plays with the way that he practices uh, I think it makes the whole team better is Timmy Lenat getting a little bit more comfortable in that center role do you see any development in terms of just his comfortability in that in that situation uh, yeah absolutely and, and I think that when someone's kind of growing at a position you've got to try to uh, make them feel uh, confident with the, some of the things that they're doing and, and that's kind of what we're trying to do is put them in a situation where we say hey here's the call you know there's not a lot of gray area in it here's the call that you need to be in uh, you need to make it confidently you need to communicate it to everybody and, and just him being out there and probably having a little bit of success is probably helping his confidence level and that's a big thing you know when you're dealing uh, with 18, 19, 20 year old guys is, is how confident they feel in making that call or how confident they feel in communicating it and making sure everybody's on the same page he's definitely grown that way Isaac Miller had the long recovery from the knee injury it's been good as a as his position coach to kind of see him get out there and then you know f- finally get a chance to, to stay healthy for a little stretch here yeah no I think he's he's done a good job in some ways and there's plenty of ways that he's got to grow as well it's it's fun to see him out there competing and playing and having a little bit of success you had mentioned in camp that he was practicing pretty much exclusively at left tackle when did he trust that knee enough for you to be able to put him on the on the right side uh, it was it was probably a quarter of the way through the season you know we said hey let's give it another go and, and uh, let's let's see you know how much more well the knee has gotten and uh, I think that it's definitely improved I think he's getting more and more comfortable in terms of muscle memory on that side uh, the line and, and again same type of thing is as anyone else is the confidence in doing it uh, is important and so you know every rep that he's able to have some success is another you know notch of confidence for him and you can see him getting more confident as he's playing. Seemed like Aaron Hagler maybe had a little bit of a sophomore slump to begin the season is he coming back around a little bit uh, you know he's probably been in the same boat as Tim in the sense that he, he's gotten moved around a little bit and he's played multiple spots uh, I, I think it's the same thing though is the more success that he has the more comfortable he's going to feel at a bunch of different spots for him mentally there's there's no issues he knows what's going on he's, he's a very intelligent football player uh, just the fundamental part of playing guard is so different than playing center you know and even having taken some center reps uh, this year I think it's helped him learn the offense now we got to get him caught up fundamentally at each of those spots and just lastly anything specifically you want to see from your group going in, into these next three goal games yeah I think the, the, the big thing always for us is uh, the mentality of the position uh, you know playing confidently is part of playing nasty and so uh, if you trust yourself and you go out and cut it loose you got a better chance of being successful and 
that's kind of where our group is right now is when we, when we when we're able to go out there and, and play confident we play hard we finish uh, when there's some question as to what you know one guy's doing or the other guy's doing or they're not 100% confident in their assignment or their technique sometimes you don't play as fast and that's what we have to avoid that we can't we got to finish the season strong uh, you know fundamentally and physically awesome thanks coach yep appreciate it I know some CU fans were frustrated with that offensive line group, and rightfully so. Again, we've talked on this show. It's, I think it's going to take some time with Clayton Adams in that group just because you can't bring in a, a talented class of offensive linemen like you can at receiver and expect them to be great from day one. It takes time. For sure. I mean, even in a best-case scenario, it usually takes three years for most of these guys to start playing. And obviously it's a physical position. You want to have men, not boys. You know, it's tough to have an 18-year-old kid going against a 22-year-old and win. So it's one of those positions that takes a little bit longer to get that strength, get that size in order to be dominant. Before we jump into the Buff Stampede Radio mailbag, I want to remind you that Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting. Specializing in the unique needs of small and medium businesses, Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at GormanRecruiting.com. Our first question is from Ralphie's Running. He asked, LaVisca Chenault had one huge catch and almost another last week. I think most people would agree he needs more touches. Are the coaches riding the seniors a little too much? So the coaches get the benefit of seeing and working with these guys every day on the practice fields, every day in the film room. So I try not to always be critical of things, but there are certain things like Isaiah Oliver returning punts that I just simply don't get. And LaVisca Chenault not being on the field more when he's averaging 29 yards every time he touches a football, that I don't get either. Yeah, I think he definitely needs to be out there more. I don't think he should be starting, though. It's hard to really make that decision with the guys you've got ahead of him. And obviously in this game, Shea Fields had a pretty good game for the first time in a while as well. I think that was the one guy you were really concerned with their production. You can't replace LaVisca with, for Devin Ross. That, they don't have the same type of skill set. And obviously you saw Devin Ross had a nice game in this game as well. So, you know, Bobo has probably been the most consistent of any of the wideouts so far. And he's the guy that is in front of LaVisca right now. So it's, you know, it's not the easiest decision ever. Now I think they do need to find a way to get him, you know, 10 more plays a game, just get him out on the field, uh, make something happen. I'd like to see the same with Katie Nixon as well. But, you know, this isn't the game that I'm going to harp on wide receiver production. <laughs> They're all pretty good. He also had a 25-yard reverse in the UCLA game, mitigated by a penalty. And then the catch that he can't quite make in the Cal game basically saves an interception, right? If yeah. he doesn't come back on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a big physical play in which he took it right out of the defender's hands. So He's going to be fun to watch. And at this point, I'm thinking you might just kind of anticipate seeing him two more seasons in the future. Oh, uh, yeah, I would say that's probably fair. I th- it's kind of, we talked about the secondary earlier having a ton of NFL talent. Next year's wide receiver group I don't think is going to have any drop-off either, which is crazy since all three of the starters are seniors. But maybe on Antel, LaVisca, Chenault, some of these younger guys, Katie Nixon, Jay McIntyre is back as well. You're going to see some talent. And obviously, you have – the transfer from Texas Tech as well going to be available. Tony Brown and Jawan Winfrey is yeah, probably Jawan. not even going to be starting again. Yes, Jawan right? Winfrey. There's Maybe, still, but still yeah. a ton of talent available in that wide receiver grouping. 
Buff Predictor had this to say, how much of the team's success versus Cal came from practice adjustments, for example, the scouts and passing drills, as opposed to just playing a rebuilding program at home. I'm hoping that the team can take the positive lessons from this recent success and build off them and not fall back into old patterns that have limited their potential for much of the season. It's like a lot of these questions, it's a combination of them. Uh, do you think it was more a result of them emphasizing the passing drills in practice or more just Cal's defense is rebuilding? I mean, Cal's had a pretty good defense for most of the year, so uh, I was surprised to see us have that much success, especially early on. Uh, you know, we hit a couple of deep balls. We talked about this off season. <laughs> you hit a couple of those deep balls where Shea's open or LaVisca's open, or I think one was KD and Devin Ross recently as well. Your offense starts to get going in a hurry. Uh, I think that's, you know, they finally clicked on something deep that that's what they needed to do all season long. And then defensively, I did see some scheme adjustments that I was really happy with. They brought pressure from a lot of different areas, confused the offense a little bit. Those are the type of things you need to do. By doing more of the skeleton passing drills, as Mike McIntyre said, the, the, the negative there is that you can potentially wear out guys' legs. But he just said, you know what, at this point, screw it. We've got to get this figured out. And Cheverini mentioned to me that they were working with Montez getting a little bit more touch, a little bit more air under his ball. That was clear. You could see that on the field for sure. So probably practice, honestly, just based on what we've heard from the the players and coaches this week. B. Wassman had this to say, I personally think this next game is huge because we need momentum going up against USC. It would be great to get the Tempe monkey off our backs, and we do not want to be 5-6 and on the road still fighting for bowl eligibility the last week of the season. How would you rank our remaining three games in terms of how we look back on the season? Um, do you quite understand that <laughs> no. question? Um, like if they beat USC, you would maybe look back on the season differently than if it was a win at ASU or Utah? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I'm not really sure where he's going with that one. It would, yeah, I mean, his points are good there, though. You. You want to get that Tempe monkey off your back. You, right. USC, there's a monkey there, too. They've yeah, they destroyed CU a yeah, lot. they haven't had even competitive games with USC except for last season. Um, I guess I would just say, like, in terms of the most winnable games down the stretch, obviously Utah is probably the favorite right now. And then I would say at ASU and then USC, the home game is probably the more difficult of the three. I don't think we're going to be favored in any of the three at this point. But... There's, you know, just probability-wise, there's a good chance they find a way to get one of them. And I think that's really all you need to do to look back on this season in a successful light. Nippus13 had this to say, If CU beats ASU this week, I think CU will have insertier number wins to end the year. Or if CU loses versus ASU this week, I think CU will finish with insert your number here wins the season. This week's game has the potential to swing the season into a positive 180 degrees, but in my opinion, if not, also make me believe it will be hard to get that sixth win. So he says, if CU beats ASU this week, how many wins do they finish with? If they lose this week, how many do they finish with? Uh, if they win this week, they'll finish with seven. Um, if they lose, yeah, it's going to be hard to convince yourself there's another win on the schedule. Obviously, Utah's very winnable, so I'll say six still. I'll say they'll find a way to get one, but if they do lose to ASU this week, the numbers suggest they're going to finish with five, probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't strongly disagree with that. I'll go with you seven wins if they win in Tempe. You just got to find, you got to think this team's going to find a way to find that one win in these next three. 
Andrew S. Buff one asked, in your opinion, does Montez have the potential to be an elite top five college quarterback or just a solid one? So top five college quarterbacks, those guys are typically in the Heisman discussion. I don't think Montez is ever reaching that level. There's a pretty big gap between top five and solid. (laughs) I'll go somewhere in that category, somewhere in the middle. Um, I think he has a chance to be a top five Pac-12 quarterback. Okay. Um, I'll say that for sure. I think he has a chance to be a top 20 quarterback nationally by the time he's done. I think he has a chance to maybe be an NFL quarterback if he develops the right ways. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but no, I don't think he's going to be competing for a Heisman by the time he's done here. Although his wide receivers might give him a chance as a senior. We'll see. He's got some of the tools to possibly be an NFL guy, of course, but he doesn't anticipate when guys are going to get open or th- throw guys open enough, and that's what, like, NFL quarterbacks mm-hmm. do. Yep. That's good. And that's something that's hard to develop, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it is a little bit, but I think game experience definitely helps that. I mean, you gain confidence with this throw, you move on to the next one. I mean, you know, they're obviously he's not going to be a first-round guy, but I think he has a chance to develop those skills into to a point where his physical attributes might entice somebody to take a chance. All right, we have our next question from L.E. Buff. He asked, which redshirts have impressed in practice, and who do you expect to contribute next year? So we have talked about Alex Fontenot. Yeah, yeah, I think Alex Fontenot, in in my opinion, he's probably the favorite to start next year at running back. Colby Purcell, we've talked about him, probably the front runner to start center next year. That's another Mm -hmm. redshirt guy. Uh, Will Sherman is now the most physically impressive of those true freshmen on campus on the Mm O-line. I think I would be surprised if he's not starting at guard next year. Um, defensively, John Van Deest is 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 the guy there. I actually asked Jay McIntyre after practice on Wednesday which scout team guy defensively has impressed him the, the most, and he had no hesitation and said John Van Deest has only one speed. He doesn't know how to dial back on scout team, and he said he really appreciated that. He said that Jonathan Van Deest has spent a little time at Nickelback on scout team. He says, yeah, he doesn't really ever stop us, but he gets close a few times. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure Nickelback is the right position for John. <laughs> the fact that he can even like have some success in that role is, is pretty impressive as an inside yeah. linebacker. I mean, nobody in his position is graduating, so I don't know how much he'll play defensive snaps next year-wise if everyone is healthy, but he's going to be a beast on special teams. I can pretty much guarantee you that. He'll make some plays. And uh, I'd like to see him get out there in some pass rushing situations as well. I mean, I think they like him as an inside guy. Uh, there was some concern back and forth about how that was going to work out for him going inside. But the way they've used Drew Lewis, I think, should be extremely encouraging to him because they have rushed the passer with Drew quite a bit. And I think that's a similar role you're yeah. going to see them try to use John Van Deesten. As unfortunate as for Nate Lamon to have to play a few snaps here and there, burn his red shirt, Jonathan Van Deesten is in the perfect situation. He comes in with a sense of urgency in his first camp, so he's really going hard from day one. He gets the benefit of an extra day in the weight room all fall. Next year, like you said, he's probably not going to have to start unless they suffer injuries there, but he'll get his feet wet. And then he's got three years to probably be a starter on this defense. Oh, so yeah, it's the yeah. perfect situation. Yeah, I agree. I think by the time he's a sophomore, he, he, the ex- expectation is that he's going to be your starter inside. Dorno 9 asked, have you heard anything on the development of Maurice Bell? He's the only freshman I haven't heard anything about. Also, has Polly practiced yet, or is he out this year? And then Maximus Buff piggybacked on that question and asked, what is the status on Moretti and Polly's knees? Have they practiced this year? What's the status for offseason? 
So good questions. These are questions that will be a little bit easier to answer in spring ball. Maurice Bell was a little banged up in camp, and yeah, I haven't really heard anything with him. Um, and we, it doesn't sound like Moretti or Polly have been really been able to practice much. Uh, so they're they're behind the eight ball at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean they are. Uh, they have time to bounce back though. You assume they can get healthy by the spring. They'll have time to get their reps in, but they definitely are behind everybody else. But that's what redshirting is for, you know. People have injuries and stuff. We'll see how that plays out. I haven't heard much about Maurice Bell. It's not really surprising. I mean, there's like 14 guys who are extremely talented in the wide receiver grouping. The guys who are redshirting, you're not going to hear a ton on. Um, back to the previous question real quick. I was just going to throw Chris Miller and Terrence Lang as guys who okay. potentially could, you know, you could see on the field next year on D. With Moretti, it was a scary deal, a nerve issue um, in his leg. Um, and it just sounds like there's no clear-cut timetable on that. Right. But he has made progress, and it does sound like he will be able to make a full recovery. It's just it's one of those things where all of a sudden he might wake up one day and be totally fine, but it's just not quite there yet. Buff Mode had this to say, Dead horse here, what coaching staff changes do the masterminds of BSR anticipate happening in the offseason? <laughs> nice. <laughs> How would you grade the Darren Cheverini slash Brian Lindgren co-OC show, and do you see it continuing? We're masterminds, Tyler. I like that. Uh, so when you brought in Chev, that, that's not a long-term answer, right? You're not going to have co-OCs for a decade. Right. At some point, and these are both young guys, too, so they have aspirations. Mm-hmm. Can that continue long-term? I, maybe it can happen for another year Two at the most, but I would even be surprised with that. Right. I mean, one you're either going to be very successful and one of these guys is going to get taken from you in a situation where they get promoted or you're going to struggle more than you think you should and they'll have to make a change. You know, you, if, you can't be average and have the call see things work out. So one of those two things is going to happen. So I think two, three years down the line, you can pretty much guarantee one of those guys will be moved on elsewhere. Um, I would grade it much higher than most other people. I think they get way too much blame for a lot of this stuff. Um, by and large, I think they've been pretty solid. Obviously you've had, you've come in and now you've had quarterback changes. They run a much different offense than they used to. So there's a lot of personnel changes that need to be had. And the offensive line obviously had its struggles as well. I don't like a lot of people have put Brian Lingren on the chopping block. I think that's crazy. Um, I, you know, I think they're slowly but surely getting better in that role. Um, as far as the other question, who's gone, I'm not going to fire people on the radio, but I, I would be surprised if there aren't a few changes made. Well, you can't really answer that question sitting here. They're five and four right now. This season could go in two very dif- different directions the next three weeks. Yeah, that's also true. In terms of uh, Lindgren, I, I mean, there have been times when he's almost uh, trying to outsmart himself a little bit of, but recently I mean the way they've been hammering Phil Lindsay they've kind of gone away from that quite a bit well I mean outside of the Washington State game they've been pretty dang good on offense the last three or four weeks yeah Colorado asked seems the last few weeks we have had in-state recruits for the next cycle pop around this time is there anything in the 2019 pipeline that you see so Josiah Davis, Bear Miller, and Austin Johnson are three guys they've offered for 2019 that are in-state. And they all seem to have genuine interest in the bus, but it doesn't sound like any of the, those three are going to commit anytime soon. So I would say don't uh, hold your breath on that, at least right now. They've also offered Luke McCaffrey, but that's definitely one where I wouldn't get your hopes up. Yeah, I mean, we haven't had much success with McCaffrey, so 
we'll see how that plays out. And there are a few other guys who I think you're going to see start popping up Mountain West offers. Um, Ethan Zemla just got an offer from CSU. He's another linebacker at Valor. Uh, so from what we've seen so far, the 19 class might be a little bit light. We'll see how things develop. We usually find a couple of kids in camp that we like. Spring um, evaluation the, period, too. The quarterback for Cherry Creek, whose name always escapes me every time we try to talk about him. Alec um, Padilla. Alec, or Alex, Alex, Alex Padilla, Padilla, thank yeah. you. And Alec Pell at Cherry Creek, too, are probably two guys who are going to get Mountain West type offers. I'm not 100% convinced they're going to get to the Power 5 level. We'll have to see. I really like Padilla. I think it's just his size that's going to hold him back. But he's got great arm strength, and he can move around a little bit. He's had a huge year for Creek. Drake Nugent has an offer from CSU. He's on the Highlands Ranch offensive line with Austin Johnson. He's going to need a growth spurt, I think, though, for a Pac-12 offer. Yeah, yeah, but he was very impressive when we went to go watch that game. I liked him a lot. Yeah, Bear, Bear, Bear Miller is starting to blow up a little bit. He picked up Washington, UCLA recently. We've heard that there's, there is genuine interest with him staying in state, so that will be an interesting recruitment to watch. Um, but, yeah, it does, it does sound like it's going to be a little bit more thin in state in 2019. Pikla asked, do you expect all of our current commits to sign on December 20th? How many Scallies will we have left for February? I would say the vast majority of the current commits will be expected to sign on December 20th. And if they don't, then you've got to kind of reevaluate things a little bit because you need to can't have a, a kid stringing you all the way up to signing day. Usually it's only the, the cream of the crop blue chippers that can kind of get away with that. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time we've done it, so I guess we'll see how it plays out. And there are a few guys who have said they plan to take visits elsewhere, so I guess those would be the expectation. Those are going to be the guys that you probably don't see signed. Yeah. A Walker Culver, you probably wait up until whenever he's ready to decide they like him that much. Well, I think they'll wait on everybody, but they'll start looking at other guys. I don't think they're going to wait on all of them, though. If there's a kid that – if if they – yeah – We'll see. We'll see how, how that plays out. In terms of Scully's left for February, it's tough to say. But I'd venture to guess it's going to be less than, than five, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they have, the problem is you have so many guys who kicked off this year that potentially have pathways back. It's hard to really pinpoint how many available scholarships there actually are. Yeah. TKH11 asked, I'm sure uh, recruitment of defense, defensive tackles will come up. When it does, will you please comment on the chances we can turn Calvin Avery? Calvin Avery is, of course, committed to Illinois, but has said that he will take a visit to CU. Um, when I've asked people around that, that have insight into this, they don't have super high expectations that they, they're going to flip Avery, but it's one of those, you get him on campus, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a part of that big recruiting visit weekend in December, right? So if they get a ton of guys on, you never know how that pans out. But yeah, I mean, they've definitely struggled at that position, so... I'm not going to get my hopes up until one of those actually pans out. Wayne Buff also asked a question, something I've only put up on our message board for subscribers, and that's something that I'll check into immediately after the regular season. I've reached out to a couple sources recently, and they wouldn't comment on this particular situation for obvious reasons. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's time for your updated Pac-12 power rankings, Tyler. All right. Well, there's definitely some movement this week. Pac-12 is... Uh, Kind of all over the place. You never really know how things are going to go. Oregon State, they tried to sneak their way out of the spot, but then they blew it. Ryan Nall, fumble. Come on, buddy. They had that game locked in. All they had to do was run off the clock, fumble. That's very Oregon State. That's how this season has gone. Poor Beavs. Go Beavs. With an E. (laughs) 
I'm not commenting on that. <laughs> uh, number 11 this week, I have California. Uh, you know, they a hot, a hot start aided by the fact that North Carolina is absolute trash, which we didn't really expect going into the year. The Ole Miss win, though, still fairly impressive to me. Ole Miss isn't great, but still a pretty good non-conference, but they've looked pretty lifeless in a majority of their Pac-12 games outside of destroying Washington State. Seven turnovers. Uh, they're going to – they have Oregon State this week. They will want to win that game. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. If Oregon State wins that, could they potentially creep ahead of Cal? They got to. Okay. It's at Cal, too. So they win at Cal. Cal's going to be last. Have you seen the hashtag Hall In? Is, is yeah. for Corey Hall. Everybody's oh, right. supporting him. <laughs> so, well, I mean, he is pretty awesome. He's fun to watch on the sidelines yeah. at the very least. Utah, all the way down at number 10 this week. They have been pretty brutal so far in Pac-12 play. Their only win was at Arizona, minus Khalil Tate. I, I think it would be pretty fair to say if Khalil Tate had started a week earlier, Utah would be winless in Pac-12 play right now. They've looked pretty lifeless for most of the Pac-12 slate. I have Colorado next. Um, they could have even moved up a couple more spots maybe, but, you know, win a home game against Cal, that's a game you probably should win. Now it puts them in a position to get to a bowl game. They can move their way back up into more of the middle tiers, but you got to see a little more consistency out of them. Um, Oregon is just ahead of them. I really only have them just ahead because they have that Nebraska win in non-conference. They're pretty similar resume-wise, but they have a better non-conference win than us. Um, UCLA just ahead of Oregon there. Uh, a team that I think will finish solid enough down the stretch to get to 6-6. Six and six. I think Oregon and UCLA play each other coming up here in two weeks. Or maybe it's Arizona State that does that. Um, I have Arizona State next on the list. They've been probably the surprise team so far this year outside of Arizona. They've looked fairly good. They got smoked last week by USC. I think you're going to see a little bit of inconsistency from them. Good talent, tough schedule, and obviously that game against CU this week will determine a lot in terms of how the Pac-12 South is going to shake out from top to bottom. Uh, Washington State all the way down to five this week. Blistered by Arizona. Um but they've been doing that to everybody. I just don't think Washington State's quite as good as teams want or people have wanted them to be so far this year. I haven't been overly impressed by them at any point. Stanford, I have at four. Uh, leading, actually, the North standings right now, kind of a solid bounce back, but they really should have lost that game to Oregon State this week, so it's hard to put them much higher. Arizona, third. They could honestly be second, first, whatever you wanted. They've been the hottest team in the conference for a while now. They played number two, USC. In a game this week, that will probably determine who plays in the Pac-12 championship game out of the South Division. And then Washington, I have at number one. They seem to have bounced back and solidified themselves as the most likely team to get out of the Pac-12 championship right now. How much do you think it would benefit the Pac-12 if they were with just an eight-game conference schedule? Uh, I mean, that's brought up a lot. Do you think that's a big reason why they're not able to get teams into the playoff consistently? They definitely beat up on each other a little bit. Um, I would like to see all the conferences go to nine games because yeah. I think that's how it should be done. But if people aren't going to agree to that, then, yeah, you probably have to go back to eight. If not only because you get to play some other teams around the country, it's always nice to play a little bit of a different schedule. I mean, with us playing CSU every year, we have two te- two games a year where we play somebody we don't always play. And one of those, you want to schedule a lower right. you know, opponent. Yeah. yeah, so it gets a little bit light in terms of, you know, oh, we get to play them finally. You don't get that a lot in the Pac-12. Now, the problem I hate with the eight-game schedule is you just don't play enough teams. 
in your, you know what I mean? Like it, I almost think they need to go to 13 because that would solve a lot of the issues. But um, yeah, it's it's tough to, you know, play one team that's actually exciting different every single year. Well, CU's men's basketball team had an exhibition on Monday night. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend. You weren't either, Tyler. Um, they outscored the Colorado School of Mines 46-23 to in the second half to pull away for a 78-52 to victory. They only rebounded Mines by one, which, not surprisingly, was Tad Boyle's biggest frustration after the game. It sounds like a lot of players, including Tyler Bay, Dallas Walton, showed some flashes, and the team shot 53%, had 19 assists, 11 steals, all 11 players that played, including walk-on Josh Repine, made a field goal. Um, Mines is actually a pretty good team to have an exhibition with. Yeah, they're an Elite Eight team from Division II. Uh, very talented. They are also pretty disciplined. They're a fun basketball team to watch. You've never watched them play before. Uh, yeah, they've got some guys who end up playing in Europe pretty much every year. So they got some talent. Um, you know, it's you know, obviously the 26 points is something that you want to see towards the end. Close game in the first half, not exactly what you want to see, but it, it, the exhibition games are hard because you're just trying to work on stuff. It doesn't really necessarily show you what you should expect for the season moving forward. Alexander Strading started, and you know that's not happening. So, again, Boyle trying to motivate his guys to... Right. Didn't so. have a fifth starter, so I picked Alex. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> what are your main reasons for optimism with this team and main reasons for pessimism? Well, optimism is they're young. I mean, they have a lot of time to figure it out. I don't think this year is the end-all, be-all on what they become. This group is going to be together for a long time, assuming everything pans out. They seem to like each other quite a bit, which is a good start. I think they have great leadership potential with McKinley Wright running the show from the point guard position there. That's usually a pretty good way to have a good basketball team if you have a leader at point guard. And what about uh, on the other negative side? Uh, Same thing, young. I mean, they're going to be inconsistent. Uh, They're going to make some... You know, silly mistakes that make you scratch your head. And they're going to have frustration at times. I don't think this is the greatest shooting team of all time. So they're going to have cold nights. Uh, You know, it's just going to be an inconsistency thing. But it's always fun to watch freshmen grow and develop. So, you know, I don't (coughs) – sorry, I don't expect them to be great this year. But I think they have a chance to be really good down the road. So it'll be a fun group to watch. The NCAA doing NCAA things (laughs) by forcing Evan Batty to redshirt – if you're going to have a waiver process, then there has to be some chance that you can actually get it approved, right? Evan Batty has a family situation going on his freshman year of high school. Doesn't do all that great in the classroom, but he does a great job in the classroom the next four years. He graduates. He already gets penalized for that by not being able to play his senior year. It, there's just literally no reason for this kid not to be able to play this season. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a joke but I think in the end it's going to work out really nicely for CU because he's already had one extra year of high school he's going to be a 24 year old senior uh, he's going to be mauling some folks when he's here as a senior so yeah. down the line I think it'll be really beneficial to Tad and the program and him I mean he has a chance to be very very special by that point in his career but it's a bummer because he will have had three years without playing basketball and uh, he's fun to watch so I would have liked to have seen him get out there this season but a, a, you know typical Evan Batty unbelievable response to yeah. it and uh he'll be fun to watch on the sidelines this, the, the only way this is really going to negatively affect you is if they get a big man hurt this year then all of a sudden they're woefully thin there right i mean yeah it, it, it will hurt them but in the end i don't 
I don't expect them to be that. I don't think they're going to turn a team. So if they struggle, they struggle. But you're a fan but, correspondent. If you're inside the program, you can't have those thoughts. No, I know. I'm just I'm just saying like I, it sucks, but you're not going to do much about it. You know, if if someone gets hurt, that's going to be a frustration. But uh, I'd rather have him when he's 24, I guess. Season opener against UNC, just a week and a half away. We gotta get those Tyler Ziskin uh, preview pieces up. Yeah, I gotta start working on them this week. I have, tonight I close, and then I have two days off in a row, so okay. I have some time to start dialing it in. Start stretching out those fingers a little yeah, bit. Yeah, typing type fingers. In. Been yeah. a while. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Oh man, it's nice to finally get one uh, get one on the board. Starting yeah. to, starting to be a little salty about CU football this year, which is a bummer. Uh, but I'm excited about basketball, man. Odds came out this week for national championship. Hedging opportunities all over the place. Got to get some of those in. It's going to be good. I'm headed down to Arizona. Actually, this evening we're taping this on Wednesday af- afternoon. I'll have to do a little work down there, but looking at the forecast, going to be in the low 80s. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time behind the laptop. I want to get out there, get a little hike in. I'm going to hike Camelback Mountain, and then I'm going to eat an entire Oregano's pizza. <laughs> nice. I could just stay home and not do either of them, but that, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you got stuff to do, man. <laughs> so we'll see if Colorado can actually show up and uh, show, show some semblance of life in Sun Devil Stadium because we have not seen it up to this point. Look for my post-game content after that game on Saturday night. Special thanks to Gorman Recruiting for sponsoring our pod- podcast the last five weeks. Again, they help remove the stress of the hiring process by helping your business hire key management, sales, or administration. Learn more at GormanRecruiting.com. And if you have interest in sponsoring our podcast going forward, feel free to reach out to me at email, adamcm777 at yahoo.com. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Once again, we'll be back next week.